Welcome to Season 10 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand that the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. I want to thank all of you for watching. Our first 100 episodes garnered over 20,000 organic views. I couldn't do it without you. Please share, please subscribe, and enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today, I am joined by Andrew Newman, who is an award-winning author and founder of ConsciousStories.com, a series of bedtime stories intentionally crafted to support the parent-child connection in the last 20 minutes of the day. His professional background includes deep training in therapeutic healing work and mindfulness, and in, and in his emerging work, which is, he calls Creativity First, Andrew explores the cyclical nature of creativity and how self-expression is essential to healing. Andrew is a TEDx speaker, a featured expert on Mind Valley's Little Humans, and has been an opening speaker for Deepak Chopra and a keynote speaker at Dr. Becky Bailey's Conscious Discipline Conference. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Andrew. Anita, thank you. This is wonderful. I'm very excited for us to be exploring empathy. <laughs> well, your books breathe empathy. And I'm going to just share with our audience that can see the visuals. I've got three of them, right? So We Are Circle People helps children find connection and belonging in the modern day village if you could see that and the illustrations are so beautiful and then you've got here the hug that got stuck which is teaching children to access their hearts and get um, free from their sticky thoughts and then I have a third one the elephant who tried to tiptoe which reminds children to be their true selves and to love their bodies that they're in oh your work is so fantastic I'm so delighted to have this conversation with you yeah, thank you. It's you know, it's always as a as a creative putting something out into the world and just feeling the warmth of this moment and and your excitement to meet and and welcoming it back. It's like it feels good. It feels good for me. It's like often I'm here dreaming up another story, but the connection, which I know is is the heart of what you're about and your empathy and the relating. It's like this is so much of what what drives me and what I've been trying to uh, heal and resolve for myself and to put out into the world. So I'm delighted to join you in, uh, in a moment of deep conversation. Super. And not only do I really respect the work that you do as somebody who's spent like a decade looking at empathy and the power of empathy for, for our relationships and, and our, our world, but I also have a six and a half year old. So I've been reading these books to my daughter and I know um, what they stir up and the kinds of conversations and the kind of chit chats and snuggles that I've had with her as a result of your book. So I look forward to sharing your work with people on this side of the pond. I know you're you're from England, I take it? South Africa originally. Oh, South Africa. Oh, oh sorry, I got the accent wrong. And now you're in Hawaii, which is wonderful. Um, and I just want to bring um, Canadians and North Americans to your work in droves because it is such a, it's just delicious. So I'm going to start with um, your TED Talk, and we'll make sure to include um, the link in the description of this episode below. It's called Why the Last 20 Minutes of the Day Matter. And you speak about the impact of love and care on the nervous system and how it, it regulates in kids. So can you share more about why those 20 minutes are so special? 
Yeah, I started geeking out on them uh, uh, because I think one of the biggest things I noticed was that if I did something intentional in my last 20 minutes of the day, my quality of sleep was different. And the way that I woke up the next morning was different. Mm. So on the nights where I maybe meditated, maybe did some, some gratitude journaling, I just woke up feeling better resourced. And I was curious about this. And I had been studying deeply around developmental trauma, around how in the first young years of our life, we have these experiences that begin to shape our belief systems about whether or not we feel safe in the world, safe to express and to be ourselves. Uh, and as I looked closer and closer at it, I was like, okay, so we all have difficult moments and our brains all function as safety mechanisms to try and give us strategies. But when exactly are those strategies formed? It's mm. like, if I have a tough moment on the playground when I'm five years old, when does the behavior in me form that I no longer want to go to the playground? Mm. And and what is the journey? Because it doesn't feel like it's a, a straight light switch. It's not like a, an on and off, but that actually our body's doing some metabolizing. And over the years, as I was having as an adult, I was learning for the first time in my life what a restorative healing experience was. And I was going, oh, I, I literally didn't have any of those in childhood. I had loving parents, but they weren't skillful to come in and go, it looks like you had a hard time. Let me sit with you and help you metabolize it through your system so you don't have to carry it. Mm. So. By the time I was in my 30s, I was carrying a lot because I, none of the metabolizing had happened. And uh, I realized that for our little ones, we really want to help them um, as fast and as soon as possible for them to, to make sense of what their experience is so that they don't have to carry it like I had to carry it. Um, and that there was an opportunity to metabolize the day just before sleep. Hmm. that if we applied that that time intentionally um our kids wouldn't go to sleep carrying uh as much hardship from from their challenging moments that were confusing for them their brain wouldn't have to solidify behavior strategies in order to keep them safe because they would have already had safety come back into the system through the presence and the love of a parent showing up alongside them and listening to what it was that that uh, that they were working their way through. Oh, I love that. So the design of the book is to really help kids metabolize their feelings on purpose before they go to sleep. So they have a deep sleep and they wake up refreshed and and they're not carrying these like feeling hangovers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh Wonderful. Okay. So I know that in all of your books, you start with what's called a snuggle breathing meditation. So let's, let's find out what this is. Why do you do it? And uh, yeah. Well, how about we just do it because I would love you to feel it through your system yeah. and we can do it here together and then we'll do story time and I'll, I'll, I'll we'll see how the transitions in okay. the, the snuggle breathing meditation is a transition tool um and and you don't need to have my books to use it <laughs> um i use it in my in my my company we use it to start company meetings like when talking it doesn't matter what we're talking about we go like let's do a little breathe and uh, everyone's like okay 
so just notice how this feels for yourself and your body as you as you as if you and you join us and everyone is listening joins come come along for this um so like the air hostess will the uh, air steward will say uh you know put your your own oxygen mask on first uh, the first breath is for you um so just taking the attitude of i breathe for me breathing in i breathe for me You know, sometimes we have to slow down and do that twice, particularly I notice the mums really like this because it's like, wow, I got a little lost in all of the care I need to do for these kids. Like, I breathe for me. I have permission to breathe for me. It's okay to do that. Yes, please. Thank you. I breathe for me. And now I know you are here, so I breathe for you. Let's take a second breath. Together, we create us, and so I breathe for us. And then all of this happens in a certain context. Context. So I breathe for all that surrounds us. I'm like I've gone really quiet. Mm. How how's this for you? I'm very touched. Ah, yeah. I'm very touched by this. Yeah. Yeah. Can you feel me more? Yeah. And can I can feel, feel I can feel yeah. more empathy for you too. Mm. Mm -hmm. As a living being, you know, with your own circumstances and needs and wants and dreams and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've done all sorts of things from the brain perspective in these four breaths. You know, we've attuned, we've regulated, we've synchronized. Um, if there's brain mirroring opportunity, it will happen um, better now. Um, we've each calmed down and we've done it together. So this, this I, I mean, there's families around the world doing this at story time. I can't tell you how excited I am uh, that that we have these these thousands of families all around the world um, engaged in this. And uh, it's starting to come back to me. I had a little moment where I was I was babysitting a a, a six year old who had been three when I was first starting with the books and. I was imagining the snuggle breathe and we're making it. And the, this, this little one was my practice. And, uh, and, and they were, they were like, there were times when they were like, I don't want to do the breathing. Just, just read the story. And I'm like, you know what? I need it for me. So you don't have to do it. I'm just going to do it. Um, and then that, that's it. Then try and hold their breath. You know, whilst, whilst I was doing the breathing, it'd be this like, I'm not going to breathe. And um, I'm like, okay. And then there I was three years later and I was, I was babysitting and I was having a sad day and they knew it. And I said, uh, I said, I'm feeling quite sad. And I said, are you going to cry again? And I said, you know, I might cry. And there was this little hand that reached out to me that said, hey, let's do that thing we do at the start of your stories. Yeah. I was like, that coming back to me from 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 such a young heart was this this knowing that this was going to be a gift to me and it was going to it was going to reach me and touch me and 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 offer me empathy and it just I was like oh. 
it's really it's really like an on-ramp ritual to slow down the day to connect like you said all the attuning and it allows the transition to a sweet place you know it really does it really does so you open all your books that way so why don't we enjoy one of your books right now if you if you'll indulge i would love to children of all ages gather it's story time we are gonna do the little brain people and i'm gonna put it up on the screen for all who want to uh share but if you can also just listen along okay the little brain people is dedicated to all who think mm. and we did just do that beautiful snuggle breathing. Here it is for you on the beginning of each story. Let's go into story time. Once upon a time, on a very ordinary day, deep in the center of a very ordinary brain, a scary thing happened. Dun, 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 dun. Deep in the center of this brain lived the little brain people. Hello, little brain people. I can look at them running backwards and forwards through the brain. Dopamine was very good at solving puzzling problems and making challenging choices. His twin sister, Serotonin, was best at growing feelings of love, joy, and happiness. On most days, you could see the twins happily relaxing in the front of the brain, but not on this day. On this day, there was a problem. Uh-oh. A loud clattering bang gave serotonin and dopamine a fright. A very big fright. Ah! Yelled serotonin, curling up in a ball, whimpering. The world is falling on our heads, shouted dopamine, running to hit the panic button. Everything is going red. Cousin Adrenaline jumped into action, bursting from his security watchtower. Barking instructions. Danger, danger, danger. It's not safe. It's not safe. It's not safe. The echoing screams of frightened little brain people filled all the pathways with worry and fear as everyone braced for lockdown. In the cloud of chaos, serotonin and dopamine collided and started fighting for no good reason. Oh dear. Totally overwhelmed, the whole brain just froze. Luckily, Auntie Oxytocin had missed all the drama. She'd been sitting on the potty. <laughs> Whoa, what happened here? She said, her teeth chattering. She paused, breathing calmly, wondering how to help her panicked, frozen friends. Hmm, they must be having a yucky brain moment, said Oxytocin. I know what to do. She walked to the front of the brain and gently touched the all-clear reset button. Beautiful music played as Oxytocin's calming voice flowed through all the frozen pathways. You are safe, you are safe, you are safe. Ah. Uh... 
outside serotonin and dopamine taking deep breaths while wiggling their fingers and toes. We'll wiggle our fingers and toes. Oh, well, huffed adrenaline as he sulked back to the watchtower knowing that his job was done. The twins chatted happily as they returned to the front of the brain. That was scary, said serotonin. I'm sorry I got mad at you. I feel happy again. I'm sorry too, replied dopamine. That was confusing for me. I'm glad I can think clearly now. That night, the twins snuggled together with their family of little brain people, grateful to be feeling safe and loved once again. They all got the best night's sleep ever. It's beautiful. Now, tell me, when you read this story to children, what are some of the experiences you've had? What are some of the conversations? How do they sound? Well, what's interesting about talking about the brain is that if we start bringing brain language in with kids at a young age, they pick it up, they learn it, and they adopt it. And if we don't, then they don't. So if there's a certain age on this story, like, like, I've, I've had a three or four year olds who definitely know where the heart is and definitely know where the hug factory is, but the, the brain is conceptual. It's not as relatable. So there's a little conceptual jump that we have to educate around and bring them in on. Um, but then we can start using examples of going like, Oh, fight, fright, and free fight, flight, freeze starts to happen in front of us in the relationship. And you can use this language of going, are you having a yucky brain moment? And they go, oh, yeah, I'm having a yucky brain moment. And then, uh, you know, what can we do about that? Well, that's the, that's the, uh, the, that back page of the book. Each story has its own little activity page. And here we have the brain balance barometer that teaches about being safe and loved, having a yucky brain moment, and what we can do to restore calm. And so if we practice this with our little ones, the sighing loudly, breathing into the belly, stretching and relaxing, playing calm music, yawning and snuggling, these things become uh, uh, there in their toolbox. It doesn't have to be our toolbox for them, but we get to remind them and that they, they be, they're self-regulating. They don't like being, you know, wound up or, or tied up any more than we like it when it happens to us. So um do find that they're finding their way to create their own calm and 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 take support from us as adults around them to 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 do that in the moment. I love that because my daughter, who's six and a half, goes to a school where the arts are uh, prominent, and so they regularly have concerts and they get up on stage. And she's only in grade one, so you know I was telling her it's okay if you have butterflies to welcome them because I still have butterflies when I step into a classroom and I've been teaching for years. So I said, you know, uh, like acknowledge them, feel them, say welcome. It's because you care. You want to sing well for everybody and you're excited. So that, you know, on a somatic level, I'm able to have that conversation. But the yucky brain moment is such a great frame to have, to, you know, because she could also say that to me, Mama, you have a yucky brain moment. I'll be like, And yeah. she will. <laughs> <laughs> That's humbling, isn't it, right? <laughs> if you're enjoying this conversation, I bet you'll love reading my book, Purposeful Empathy, Tapping Our Hidden Superpower for Personal, Organizational, and Social Change. We are living in the era of a massive empathy deficit, but humans are wired to care and we can become more empathic with practice. And the more you do, the better you'll feel. Please visit your favorite online retailer and order your copy today.
So I'm wondering what connection, because I see it, it's very evident to me, but what, what connection do you see between empathy and story time reading and sort of how, how the two um, support the other? Well, as as adults and parents and and you know the speaking to the aunts and uncles and that and that I'm I'm an uncle to many kids and it's like I'm always looking for a moment of connection and that moment when they jump in the car after school and you say how was your day you don't get very much from them right it's kind of fine and they're in a we have to recognize actually that they're they're in transition and they have to unwind from what they've been in before there's a new openness but bedtime does a curious thing i don't know if you've noticed how your little one might get chatty in the evening just as you climb into bed just stretch and, it out for nothing less <laughs> but it's more than just stretching it out because it's because there's connection that's happening in that moment and and i hear from so many parents that they they hear things that they didn't know about um, from their kids and 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 these stories are written and, and part of the activity pages are, are are little conversation starters so that we so that not only can it be a fun moment together in which there's a value centric lesson that's just infusing the space um, it's giving a language for the home but but the connective piece um, there's a fascinating thing that comes um, we're often like have rank over kids we're often in front of them we're taller than them we're, we're like we're higher than them um when you come into story time you come into this side by side posture and you go on an adventure together the book is 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 is, is this thing you do together mm -hmm. and because you're together in it that rank changes and something opens up which allows you to be an an ally and a friend over being a, 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 the, the authority that's controlling. Um, and and this is this is a, a moment I, I it's like like I would say I, I really don't mind if you don't finish the story because you've started a conversation. Mm. I'm like, please don't prioritize finishing the story over what's happening. Let what's happening be this this moment of, of empathetic connection, of resonance, of like like listening, where you get to actively hear what's what the curiosity is. You get these little insights into the inner world of the person you share the story with. That is just uh, um, That's such an important message. Like I remember interviewing someone many podcasts ago who runs a little mini library the library is a mobile library and it goes to different parts of the city and she she's a childhood educator and she was talking about just the the what it means to read to a child and I did not get the memo <laughs> until that moment I really thought you open the book you start reading it you might add some nice cute voices but like you read the book the point is to read the book and she was saying that you know, they'll ask a question about something or they'll interrupt you and you're just like, want to get back to the reading of it. She's like, no, 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 no. The, the book is, is, it goes to the background. What comes to the foreground is what happens as a result of reading. And that for me was a game changer. And I, 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 I read differently now. And so you're just reasserting what she said because I think it's so important as parents like especially because we're so busy doing all the time our society kind of rigs us that way that when you're story time reading 
the the book is just the 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 channel, the vessel through which connection can be made. And that reference of background and foreground, I find so helpful. Uh, you know, even in an adult conversation, it's it's uh, uh, working therapeutically with 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 clients. It's I'm I'm listening to the background mm. uh, through the through the front door of the foreground, and then and then inviting it forward so that that piece can be be seen and heard more. Um, it's really important. And and I I it's there's always a little clash for me in in a social situation where. Um, where I, I someone applies their agenda to me and doesn't listen to to what I just said, but they're like that take the conversation off in the way they were determined to always go. <laughs> and uh, I know I do that. I'm also also guilty of doing that, but I'll just track it a little bit and go, okay, I thought things were going to go this way. I thought I was going to read the story page by page. I thought I was going to have a conversation about this, but really what you're you're taking us in a different direction. But there's an opportunity for connection if I put my agenda down and and come into the the moment and 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 stay present. And stay present, yeah. And now my brain is struggling with. I know what I want to ask next, but it's on a different topic. Do I have the right during a podcast to segue? Well, <laughs> well let me let me let me in, uh, invite you into this from a, from a from you. You've got a, a very rich awareness about empathy. It's your it's your love and your passion. Like, how do you see this affecting empathy? The decision to move to another topic. No, the 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 story time, the the, ah. the connection. So my my daughter is now heavily into Harry Potter. And I thought Harry Potter was something that you would read sort of like in your in your preteens, your tweens maybe, but six and a half is kind of on the young side. But she got really into it. We watched all the movies, which I found kind of scary and also like a bit confusing to be honest. But everybody had talked about the books and a friend of mine, a dear, dear friend of mine had said, no, she's gonna love it. Read with her, she's gonna love it. And so as of the beginning of the year, we've been chipping away every 30 minutes, like every night for 30 minutes. And I read about 12 to 14 pages on average. And I think because the book is more advanced conceptually, she interrupts less. So I feel like I'm making headway through the book, but I think I'm still staying in an old model of like there's a task to read and it's not I, I guess I'm not I'm not um savoring enough the 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 ritual and the potential of what that ritual could bring that's what's coming up for me right now mm. Mm. yeah beautiful savoring that's wonderful and what an interesting moment in our conversation because we've just been talking about having an agenda to go somewhere and i know that you've got some questions for the, the podcast <laughs> but something else is happening so so how do we stay with that and what does it feel like as a tension inside of us to actually come into that and go i'm gonna let something go and see what happens yeah um, yeah because part of me is also thinking I might find this line of questioning fascinating and I might want to talk about my own experience with my daughter reading, but which listener, it, you know, like, where's the line where people are like, okay, well, thank you. That was great. You know, and I want people to stay with it because I know there's other rich stuff that we're going to talk about. So there's a, an interesting dance happening. Yeah. 
and the dilemma is relatable. But mm. I can say we said to you, there's going to be people going, oh, look at them. They're right in the middle of a moment I'm used to being in. And how do I usually do it? And what do I, I'm like, I just push over. It's like, oh, no, actually, I pause sometimes. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we, you know, I know that we, 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 we've got uh, a theme of creativity to explore discussing. And actually, this is a very creative moment because because when we pause and when we wait, something new emerges and it takes us in a direction that's that's just exciting. It's like there's mm. an opportunity to um, to surf a wave of of something we couldn't see coming. And yeah, you know, it makes me think of something that happened in my class last week on Wednesday. So I teach social entrepreneurship. The theme this semester is the well-being of children and youth. And we devoted last week's readings to talking about the well-being of children in the global south, in um, low-income low countries. And we watched a video that was produced by CNN um, that did an expose on um, an eight-year-old child being sold by her father to uh, another, Af this was in Afghanistan, and at a refugee camp. And um, you, the cameras caught the sale and the cameras caught the reticence of the girl going off with her new husband, as it were. Mm -hmm. And after we talk, after we watched this, they watched it as homework assignment, but we had a conversation about it in class. And one of the questions was, you know, how is it possible that the video cameraman didn't intervene and say like, I'll pay whatever I'll take whatever is necessary like I'll make that money back like we're not selling this girl like it's not going to happen we had a long protracted conversation about poverty and systemic poverty and I was sensing in my own body how upside down my belly was feeling to talk about these very very heavy complicated conversations about like big injustices like a child being married off at eight years old is a calamity Mm -hmm. And I pinned it. I actually said, am I, I just want to ask, is there anyone else in the class that's feeling really uncomfortable in their belly, like about this conversation and, you know, nearly half the class put up their hand and I bet you more students had the feeling, but didn't show it. And uh, I said, I, we're, we're all reacting because we're feeling people we're humans. We're not just like at, you know, intellectually capable of processing data uh, cognitively, but we feel things. And we ended up having a really big conversation. So I, I don't know what, what it is about what you shared just now that made me think about that. But I think the impulse to actually name things as they're happening and provide space for them right. is actually provides teachable moments. Right. Yeah. And, and on the simplest level with our little ones, we do active noticing all the time. If we can say, hey you're you're smiling or your shoulders are down or your head is hanging it helps them feel seen and it gives them a, a, a moment it's different to an interpretive moment where i decide for you that you look angry or or you look sad i'm like i just go right to the surface and say oh you're crying mm. it's like sometimes we know if you've cried enough in your life you'll know that sometimes Tears aren't sad. Mm. So it's uh, it's what you did was to enable that going, here's what's happening in my belly. Is that happening for anybody else? Mm. Mm.
Yeah, and it makes me think about parenting at a, at a not just that story time, but just the whole idea of um, not projecting what you're seeing in your child and not judging it. And that's hard to do because we've been conditioned, right? Like I still remember the one and only time that Annika had a full-blown meltdown, how much shame it felt like me as a parent that had a child that was having a meltdown. I did not feel self-compassion for myself. I did not feel compassion for my kid. I was just like, how can we make this end, right? And I reflect on that all the time because we do micro things like that with our kids and what impact does that have? And and I, there's part of me that also kind of struggles with, well, we can't be all empathic all the time and meet our kids where they're at all the time. Cause like we have to do things, we have to get to school, they have to brush their teeth. Like there's a little bit of a, a struggle, but what is the sweet spot? So like, what do you say about that as somebody who's studied healing, right? That's some part of your, your background. Yeah, yeah, my, it's... Uh developmental psychology working with the the soma the body and um um and energy to to restore health and well-being um the but it's it's a it's a great balance like that you're you're naming it it's like how far how far do we go now one of the one of the skills is, is a fabulous resource is, is dr becky bailey she's the creator of a body of work called conscious discipline which is a um, a, a an adult first um, brain state trauma informed model for education, hmm. which all of which is to say, first the teachers and the parents need to learn how to pause, breathe, you know, reset themselves before they step in to support uh, um, something that's acting out or playing out in the classroom space hmm. um, in the relationship, and so. Uh, the more we have ourselves in and the, and the more tools we've got, and we can just take that little one breath before we yell or before we assert ourselves too strongly um, or do power over um, the little ones. Um, that's, that's helpful every time. Um, I think it's okay to make mistakes. We, we, in fact, we can't avoid them. So let's truly welcome them in. And, and then also welcome welcome the the restorative um, power that actually comes through this book that we just read that that we we model apology in the book, right? They apologize to each other for the things that they did, and uh, if we can learn the skill or practice apologizing um, once things are over um, and just before sleep in the last 20 minutes of the day you know actually everything's fine it doesn't like it'll all work out I love it I love it all right Andrew I want to ask you about creativity though because I know that's your new work right yeah. um you're a creative person uh I'd love to know if that was always the case for you but I'd also like to maybe explore with you what you see as the connection between creativity and healing and how um, how you can heal through um, becoming more creative or exercising your your innate creativity? Um, Anita, I wasn't always creative. When I when I was uh, thirty years old, I didn't identify as being creative at all. I I turned my back on a fourth generation family business. I didn't know which way was up and which way I was going. And it was at that stage that I that I I 
got into my personal development work, which led me into the healing um, uh, school environment. And the, the first four-year training that I did had creativity as one of their, their um, five strands in their curriculum. And it gave me an opportunity to begin to find this voice inside of me that, you know, now there's 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 20, 22 books and conscious stories. It's like, and and I had, you know, I had no idea then. So this is just to say that there is a, um, I, I want to give hope in this to anybody who's listening, who feels like they've lost their creativity, but they're, they, they or it's just below the surface and they can't quite get to it. Um, that's very normal and it's very um it's very much something that you can work with and through and and overcome and what i noticed i've been comparing therapy mindfulness and creativity i've been looking at those together and uh having done years of therapy myself i noticed that it's it's about looking in the rearview mirror to see what was behind me that made me how i am today and and it's certainly given me a lot of space. It's been helpful. Um, mindfulness has, has just been like an anchor that I've been able to just like like anchor, anchor again, anchor again. But then creativity is the only one of the three that has had me moving forwards. Mm-hmm. And it's had me like set sights on something. And there is this little spark or impulse that comes up if if you've got an idea you know, for a book or a song or a or a meal you're preparing, it's like the idea like wants to bubble up. Your hands want to come into action around it. But the moment that you have it, a, an idea, the bigger the idea, the bigger the shouting voices get. Now I call them squirrels. I get like you know the the, the sticky thoughts that we've seen in the hug factory, but like look, just just like no, Andrew, who needs another artist? Why? Who needs another book? Why bother doing this? You don't know how to do it, um, and and we have to find a way to to stay focused on that intention and that that creative spark and where it's going to take us because it will take us to wonderful places uh, if we can can stay present with it and let it live a little. Oh, I love that. I love that. So are you going to put some work out that we can read about that is on that topic? Yeah, so I'm, the, the, I am. I'm, I'm 60,000 words into a book about the creative cycle. What I want to to uh, us to be able to know where we are because it tells us what to do next or oh. why we are and what to do. So um, uh, it also normalizes some of these experiences and and takes the power away from those uh, those naughty thoughts. Um, and uh, the uh, there is a there is a program called the Creative Huddle, which is a, a nine month journey in community with dedicated creative time, psychological understanding of 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 one's own material and um and the community that I think that we need to to thrive. It's been one of my hardest things has been the aloneness of of creating uh, my vision, and I want to help people bring their work into the world uh, without getting tripped up on on aloneness or or those those thoughts that are derailing them yeah yeah oh wow so it's kind of falling within the sort of general gist of like the the war of art have you read that book do you know that book yeah yeah Yeah. we're we're in the territory of the war of art uh, um julia cameron's artist's way Mm -hmm. um it's it is a 
the model is cyclical so it's a little bit uh, like a hero's journey mm -hmm. in, in some respect um although those haven't been my major influences in my life they're things that are that are in society and around and mm. uh, wonderful well i can't wait i can't wait for that to come out um i would keep having a conversation with you forever but we we are at the end of our podcast so but i want to ask a final question that i always love to ask my guests when we close the show and that is if you can think of a time in your life where you felt someone's empathy on purpose they were extending empathy on purpose and what that meant for you mm. you know that's it's that's really recent it's happening all the time for me um i have a long distance relationship and i went and spent christmas with with my partner and leaving was very hard and it brought up a lot of stuff for me that actually wasn't related to the present moment it was a lot of childhood material that just was like I, I was I was a, I was a mess for a moment hmm. and she didn't leave um, and she didn't judge um, and she came and sat with me and she checked like was it okay from did I want touch or was it better if I just just stayed there did I want did she want a question she asked me very skillfully and um, and no one had quite stayed with me in that way hmm. uh, before uh, in a moment of that flavor so it became my restorative moment I became I felt seen I felt held I felt okay to be a mess which is a really difficult feeling it's like confusing um, and uh, uh, and it's just deepened our connection so beautifully and the trust that I have in in me that I can go to these places and and not break the world um or the relationship and i um and and in our relationship it's beautiful so i'm so so like oh yes beautiful oh, oh well thank you for sharing that story i'm so glad i asked you know it makes me say again and again and again and again that empathy is the most powerful human emotion second only to love and if what could we do if we really unleashed our full capacity to empathize, like imagine the world and what it would look like. I want to thank you, Andrew. I want to encourage everyone to go to consciousstories.com, pick up a few books. Thank you so much for participating in this conversation, Andrew, from Hawaii, originally from South Africa. Anita, a great pleasure. And thank you for your for shining a light on empathy. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And like for everyone who's been listening, it's if you've been here and you've been in this conversation and you're a parent, I want to say you're a good enough parent. Please know that. Like, do not be chasing the perfection in parenting. Um, you're, if you're engaged and you're curious and you're open to learn, like you must be because you stayed for the conversation already. Uh, we know that about you. Well, well done and, and beautiful and keep going. Ah, love that ending. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week at Purposeful. Thank you for watching another episode of Purposeful Empathy. Remember, this show is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand that the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. If you want to get involved, share this video, subscribe to this channel. See you next week. Thank you so much.